Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about antibiotics. If you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerotofinals.com slash antibiotics or in the infectious diseases section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. Let's get straight into it. Antibiotics are used to treat bacterial infections and they work in various ways, either to stop the reproduction and growth of the bacteria, in which case we call them bacteriostatic, or to kill the bacteria directly, in which case we call them bactericidal. Antibiotics need to be used carefully because overuse or inappropriate use can lead to resistance of bacteria to those antibiotics and increasing difficulty in treating the infections. It's important to pay attention to local resistance and guidelines for bacteria. Bacteria in different populations develop resistance to different antibiotics. So for example, the E. coli in one area of the country that's causing urinary tract infections might be particularly resistant to trimethoprim, whereas in another area of the country they may be resistant to nitrofurantoin but sensitive to trimethoprim. Therefore it's necessary to have local policies that guide which antibiotics to use in which circumstances. So a quick Tom tip, in your OSCEs, when somebody asks a question about treating infections, you can always answer that you would treat with antibiotics according to the local antibiotic policy. And this is the most appropriate answer to that question. Needless to say, it's quite useful to have an idea about which antibiotics are appropriate for which infections. Let's look at how antibiotics work. They work in a number of different ways. We'll start with antibiotics that work by inhibiting the synthesis of the cell wall. So they stop the antibiotics from building the cell wall that surrounds them. Antibiotics that inhibit cell wall synthesis can be broken down into either antibiotics with a beta-lactam ring or antibiotics without a beta-lactam ring. The ones with a beta-lactam ring are things like penicillin, carbapenems such as meropenem and cephalosporins. The antibiotics without a beta-lactam ring are things like vancomycin and ticoplanin. Next we'll talk about antibiotics that inhibit folic acid metabolism. And remember that bacteria produce their own folic acid in a series of steps. And remember that this folic acid is essential for the production and the regulation of DNA synthesis within the bacteria. There's a chain of different chemicals that are ultimately used to create folic acid within the bacteria. It starts with paraaminobenzoic acid, or PABA, which is directly absorbed into the cell across the cell membrane. PABA then converts to dihydrofolic acid, or DHFA, which then becomes tetrahydrofolic acid, or THFA, and finally folic acid. Antibiotics are used to disrupt steps along this chain. An antibiotic called sulfamethoxazole blocks the conversion of DHFA to THFA and trimethoprim blocks the conversion of THFA into folic acid. Often these antibiotics are combined into a combination antibiotic called cotrimoxazole which is often known as septrin and this is a combination of sulfamethoxazole and trimethoprim. Let's talk about an antibiotic called metronidazole 
The reduction of metronidazole into its active form that kills bacteria only occurs in anaerobic cells. When partially reduced, metronidazole inhibits nucleic acid synthesis. And nucleic acid is an important component of DNA, so essentially it inhibits the production of DNA. But this only happens when it's partially reduced, and this only happens in anaerobic cells, which is why metronidazole is effective against anaerobes, but not aerobes. Finally, we'll talk about antibiotics that inhibit protein synthesis by targeting the ribosome. And these are things like macrolides, such as erythromycin, clarithromycin, and azithromycin, clindamycin, tetracyclines, such as doxycycline, gentamicin, and chloranfenicol. Next, let's talk about penicillin allergy. Having a penicillin allergy is very common and you'll come across loads of patients that say they have a penicillin allergy. True penicillin allergy can lead to anaphylaxis and death, so it shouldn't be taken lightly. The problem is that a true penicillin allergy is much more rare than reported allergies and being labelled as being penicillin allergic stops patients from getting potentially life-saving antibiotics. It's estimated that around 10% of patients report that they have a penicillin allergy, so it's really common. However, only around 10% of the patients that report they have penicillin allergy have a true penicillin allergy. It's often believed that around 10% of patients with a penicillin allergy will have a reaction to cephalosporins and carbapenems. However, in reality, this is probably closer to about 1%. So you can see it's quite difficult that if 10% of patients are saying that they have a penicillin allergy and very few of those have a true allergy and then there's potentially cross-reaction between cephalosporins and carbapenems with patients with penicillin allergy then you're in a difficult situation when these patients develop infections and you're not able to treat them because your antibiotic choices are so limited. A quick Tom tip for you. When you're taking an allergic reaction history from a patient Always ask what the reaction was that the patient had to become labelled allergic. If they report some diarrhoea, for example, this is a side effect rather than an allergy. And it means that if necessary, for example, in a life-threatening infection, they can still receive that medication. Because it's better to save their life from the infection rather than to prevent some diarrhoea. Next, the most important thing potentially is which antibiotics cover which bacteria and if you go to the zero to finals website or the relevant page in the zero to finals medicine book you'll find a chart that on one axis you can find the different types of bacteria and on the other axis you can find antibiotics and by following the antibiotic across you can see whether the antibiotic will cover that bacteria or not it's not a perfect science but it's a really good gauge to start to understand which antibiotics cover which type of bacteria. When I was first trying to learn about antibiotic coverage, I found it really helpful to use a stepwise process of escalating antibiotic treatment in a patient coming into hospital with a chest infection. And by escalating the antibiotics, I could learn which antibiotics covered which bacteria. So an example of that is a patient coming in with a chest infection Most antibiotic policies will start with amoxicillin and that will cover gram-positive bacteria such as streptococcus, listeria and enterococcus. 
Now, if that doesn't work, you can switch to coamoxiclav, which on top of the bacteria that amoxicillin covers, it also covers staphylococcus, haemophilus, and E. coli, and some anaerobic bacteria. If you switch to tazacin, you then get additional cover for pseudomonas. If you switch to meropenem, you get additional cover on top of what you would have got with tazacin for extended spectrum beta-lactamase bacteria or ESPLs. If you then add tycoplanin to the meropenem or you add vancomycin to the meropenem, you also cover MRSA. And then if you add clarithromycin or doxycycline, you also cover a typical bacteria. So as you go up this stepwise chain, you add more and more bacteria to the ones that you're potentially covering. The final step would be meropenem, tycoplanin and clothromycin, which would cover pretty much everything. However, you never start with something so broad because you'll quickly develop antibiotic resistance to these big, powerful antibiotics that you want to reserve for patients that have failed to respond to other ones. Thanks for listening to this episode on antibiotics. If you found it helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all other podcast episode topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. It's got detailed and concise notes on 10 specialties in medicine, and it's designed specifically to contain the key facts and guidelines that you need for your medical exams. If you don't fancy spending any money, you can always find all the notes, as well as videos, illustrations and questions on the Zero to Finals website, completely free at zerotofinals.com. And I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will be on sepsis.